Welcome to Channel 9 of the STRY Radio Network, where stories live. Hello and welcome to the Ninth Story Podcast. This is Season 6, Episode 12. I'm Immortal Alexander. And I'm Jeanette Andromeda. We are a podcast about writing. We answer the big questions that you want to know. Our topic today is what keeps us inspired. Our special guest that is here to help us answer this question is Joe Fassler. Joe is the author of the book Light the Dark, which is a collection of interviews with influential and creative people about what inspires them. Joe is also a writer for The Atlantic Magazine. Welcome, Joe Fassler, to the Ninth Story Podcast. Hey, so glad to be here, guys. Thank you so much for joining, Joe. Um, yeah. Just to set the set the scene, if you will, um, why we are having you on today is because we wanted to talk about what keeps us inspired as writers. And you've done a massive amount of interviews and recently had a book come out called Light the Dark, where you talk about how artists learn to think and the idea of inspiration changing your viewpoint and creating new pathways in your mind as you explore new things. So can you tell us a little bit about that and about just overall that book and where that came from? Sure, absolutely. So this, yeah, um, Light the Dark grows out of a column called By Heart that I've been writing for theatlantic.com since um, 2013. And, you know, at the time uh, when I pitched the column, I'd been doing more sort of standard Q&As with writers um, about their books and, you know, the latest title that they that they were that they were touring behind. Um, but I, I started to realize that, you know, in these conversations, they really tended to kind of light up and some magic started to happen. Um, when actually when we weren't talking about the author's books themselves um, and we're more talking about sources of influence and inspiration. And so I decided to pitch this series where it, it was a very simple formula um, and it hasn't changed over the last five years, which is I just ask a writer to choose one short and life-changing piece of text. Um, it can be a single line. It can be a, you know slightly longer, sometimes a paragraph or a stanza. Um, that had some kind of major impact on the author's life and work. Um, and so over the years, I think I've talked to, you know, probably pushing 175 people now um, between the book and the column. And uh, each one is different. You know, occasionally folks will choose the same author. Or occasionally they'll choose the same work. But it's been wonderful to see sort of how inexhaustible um, the sources of literary inspiration are, and all the very many ways that books kind of inspire a writer to keep going and, and change the way they think and see. Yeah, it's definitely interesting how one or several authors will pick the same influence, but how they draw influence from it is entirely worlds different. So it's, it, and it, it's really cool to see how the creative mind latches onto something like the, uh, I might be jumping ahead if I am. Correct me. No, um, that, that's... <laughs> um, but I was thinking about that and I still don't know my answer to that question because that's such a great question. Um, but I was thinking about 1984 was a book that I read uh, very early on in my life. And the idea of the elevator monkey man uh, yeah. just has really stuck with me. I don't ever want to be the person who has to do whatever job I've been given. And that, yeah. that one little moment has always kept me motivated to not be the elevator monkey. Just like that may be what wow. I'm good at, but that's not what I want to do. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. It's amazing how I would say most of the time, you know, a writer barely even needs to think about it. And they're like, Oh my God, it's this thing or it's that thing. I mean, absolutely. I've, I've had certain instances where, you know, we'll talk over four or five different choices and, and then kind of settle on on the best one. And obviously, every every artist has you know numerous sources of inspiration. Mm -hmm. But just the way you mentioned with 1984, it's it's so interesting how one you know one phrase or image or detail really will often stick with somebody mm -hmm. throughout the course of a life. Um, and it's been fun to try to explore that with people. 
So since I'm sure people are already burning to ask this question of you, do you have something, one piece of text that's really affected you? Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I've been thinking about this a lot, obviously, Mm -hmm. and it's sort of unfair, right? Because I sort of, in a way, I sort of dread the question um, because (laughs) it's, it's, it is so open-ended and it is so hard. And, and I think the writers that I've talked to have, have been, you know, courageous in, in being able to sort of narrow down the field and, and settle on one thing. Um, because I find that I myself actually have a hard time doing it. But, you know, I think there's a couple answers to that. I kind of did this exercise in a way um, as I wrote the preface of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I chose a line um, from Orhan Pamuk's The New Life. Um, and it's actually the first sentence of the book. And it's just, I read a book one day and my whole life changed. And my whole life was changed. And actually, it's a really cool intro to the novel. I don't know if you've read it, but he, he kind of describes this experience of, of being hypnotized by a book and falling under its spell and just doing nothing but, but reading it for, um, you know, three days. And it almost seems to glow as, as, as he's reading it. And I think that that's something that, that, that really captures um, something that's been a defining aspect of my life and something I've always just been interested in is is this capacity that books have to to change us I mean and, and to just cast us in their spell you know to, to to bring us under their spell um and I really think you know from one thing I've learned from talking to a lot of writers is that almost everyone starts as readers I think I think every writer starts as a reader and they um, a lot of the writing impulse, I think, a lot of times comes from just simply trying to recapture the magic that you felt during a book that you love. I mean, so many novels and stories and poems, I feel like, you know, all you want to do is try to recapture the magic of uh, that you felt, you know, in ninth grade English class or, or in a book in college or as an adult, you know, when you came across a poem that really changed you. And, and, and I love that experience. We're always looking for it, you know, even though it it comes sometimes rarely, um, we're always looking for that line or passage that is going to light us up. And I'm so interested in in my own work with interviewing and just in my own work as a writer um, in learning more about what's actually happening, you know, when you have that mysterious charged interaction with a text that you don't even fully understand often at first when the line just seems to you know, be written in, uh, in glowing ink. Um, I am fascinated by that experience and I love it. And I think I always will. And Joe, you talk a lot about how people find inspiration, uh, the personal journey of it, the wonder of discovery. What was your personal discovery that led you on the path that you are now? In terms of, you know, being a writer and yeah. And that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a lot of, um, sort of what I was just talking about, you know, as a kid, uh, my parents are both professors. Um, they're both historians. And I grew up in a house surrounded by books um, with parents who, who really love books. And uh, it was probably natural for me to become a really serious reader. Um, but I, I think that I just, you know, I, like so many people, have, have, have just I'm enchanted by the experience of delving deeply into a work of literature. Um, and that happened early on in my life. You know, my mom used to read uh, like The Hobbit and um, Lord of the Rings and Charles Dickens and stuff to me when I was young. And, and it was just, you know, some of my favorite memories. Um, and, you know, and later as I was reading on my own and, and even now is, is I'm just, um, I just crave those moments when, when the book is, is just sort of lighting up all of the synapses in your mind and when you're just totally entertained and, and drawn into a story. And, and, uh, you know, I think the natural instinct is to, is to be like, well, maybe I could do that too. Um, and so, you know, for a while in college, I thought maybe I wanted to be a a literary critic of some kind, but I, I just, I'm not happy if I'm, if I'm not engaging with words on my own and trying to tell great stories and, um, whether it's, you know, fiction or nonfiction. Um, and I think it's something that, always want to do. And, and this, this interview series, I think very much, you know, drew out of that impulse, like part of what's fun about journalism. And you guys know this mm-hmm. as interviewers mm-hmm. is, 
is it's an excuse to reach out to people whose whose minds fascinate you, you know, and, exactly. a, and a, it might be stalkery to like, just call them on the phone. But if you're doing it as, as a journalist or as a podcaster, it's all, it's all on the up and up and you get to ask them all the questions that you have about how they do it. And, and I love to sort of have that interaction with people and kind of try to absorb all the, all the secret tips and tricks that the writers I admire have been, um, you know, uh, following in their own creative work. That's exactly what I love so much about this podcast is getting to pick brains like yours and just hear these different stories. Cause yeah, it would be creepy to just be like, Hey, I want to Skype with me. Why? I don't know. I'm just interested. (laughs) Yeah. You kind of can't do that. Yeah. (laughs) That's weird. Please go away. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so Another thing that is important in writing is work ethic, and it's a huge part of reaching any goal. And for us, um, with NaNoWriMo being a big part of it, has been trying to create better writing habits and to be excited about creating books. I'm curious, Joe, where does your work ethic come from or your routine? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, I feel... Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's really interesting. I'm at a point in my life and in my career where my publishing track record is extremely lopsided. Um, I've been, um, you know, I write about food. I write about books. I've written essays on all kinds of various topics uh, and I've published a ton of nonfiction. Uh, and I have published some short stories, but, but really my, my sort of biggest work, um, in terms of time, in terms of thought, and in terms of effort, um, is yet to be published, which is a novel I've been working on for the for the past you know five years now, and 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 it's still not done. Um, but you know, it, I think it really it really matters to me to to finish this book. It's it's a story I believe in um, and care a lot about, and so I think part of where it comes from is just this desire to to do justice to the idea. Um, I think we all, we all feel that way when you, when you have like that initial germ of inspiration that seems a little bit different when you have something, you know, can be good, even if you don't quite know how yet. Um, and you want to see it through you, you want to, um, to make sure you give the words the time they need to, to find their best form. Um, and that really drives me, but I, I think it's, um, you know, one thing that I've learned though, is that inspiration really is, you know, moments of inspiration are few and far between. Um, and one of my favorite things about talking to these writers, and I think this is valuable to people doing National Novel Writing Month, is that it's, it's never easy. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been amazed to learn how hard the process remains, even for these successful, um, you know, prolifically published uh, heavily awarded writers. Every book is its own challenge. Every morning, you know, has its difficulties or night or whatever they write. Um, and that never really seems to go away. Um, and so thinking about that, you know, I, it made me realize, well, if it's always hard and it's always going to be challenging, um, well, why, you know, why, why do it? And I think, I think the, it's because there's, there's joy in, in wrestling with that process. There's, there's joy in, in spending, you know, days or even weeks trying to get a scene right. And, and then that morning where it finally seems to, um, seems to open up somehow. And you know that all the time that you spent was leading somewhere, even if you couldn't see it on a day-to-day basis. And, and I'm really, um, I'm just really drawn to that process. And I'm very hardened to know that in a, in a funny way that, that it never really gets easier. Yeah, as often as we hear it from the authors that we talk to, the fact that, no, no, it's still difficult to get these stories out, it always makes, uh, well, me in particular, but I think both of us feel more fortified in the fact that we, too, can still do this. Like, it's not weird that it's hard. Yeah, and (laughs) I think people forget that a lot. It's really easy to do because, for the most part, um, no one has, (laughs) the books that people read are not only finished, they're mm-hmm. the product of a writer working with an agent and an editor and all these professional people who, who've helped them write the best book mm-hmm. that yeah. they can. And so, you know, even these writers, even these wonderful award-writing writers on, on an average writing day, um, the work they're generating might not be that much to look at. 
but the, the literature we're familiar with interacting with is the, the result of a really long process. Mm -hmm. And I think people unfairly hold themselves up to that standard um, when they are writing. Um, and so I think it's so healthy and so good and so productive to just be able to let that go. And that's especially when you're trying to write a first draft or you're trying to do like a, you know, a NaNoWriMo, mm -hmm. um, like intense writing session. It's like, don't give yourself a hard time. Just work through it. Just, just try and, 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 and try to keep going with it. And then you can go back later. Mm -hmm. I mean, all writing, all good writing is rewriting. It's good because it's been rewritten. <laughs> but in order to rewrite something, you have to have actually written. Um, and so I think so much of it is about just having the confidence to like not sound great all the time in the <laughs> beginning. Um, and once, once you kind of make that mental shift, I mean, I can't tell you how many hours I've spent in my own work just like staring at the page and hating it um, and being like, oh, it's not good enough. It's not what I want it to be. And the more I've learned to let that go and to just like realize that the difficulty is part of the process and that the dissatisfaction is just baked into it, especially in the beginning, the happier I've been and the better writer I've been. Yeah, we've been really um, finding some different ways to approach what most people consider writer's block. Uh, like we were reading uh, Gail Carson Levine's Writing Magic, mm. uh, which, you know, even, even though, it, you know, her lessons were meant for uh, children um, but there are also great entry level ideas of, you know, building a scene, making things feel tangible. Yeah. Um, and, and the way she talks about descriptives and all that and all these different exercises she puts in there are just kind of great. And I think a lot of folks that are even professionals go back to the basics mm -hmm. or sometimes even we forget to go back to the basics just to remind ourselves about those core skills of building a scene or, or delving into our imagination and making things better. Um, another thing that I really enjoyed about your book is the idea that, uh, it's not just, if I can quote the book directly, it's not just yeah. about writing advice, but how we solve problems day to day to in improving ourselves in our search for answers, we find our path. And we've been using the five minute journal, uh, to help us with this because, uh, you know, we both have our own, you know, uh, stresses and things like that, that we deal with. And it's, we've been finding that it'd be a really great tool. Uh, but we've also found your book very inspirational in finding our path uh, through this writing and, and through what we're trying to achieve. Um, you know, how how is this journey to finding creativity? How is this, you know, creating this book and doing this series? How has that affected you personally? Yeah, I mean, I think it comes through, you know, in a way, sort of what I was addressing earlier in that. Um, it's been such a wonderful demystification mm -hmm. of the process. Um, and one of the most inspiring things to me is to have a conversation and be like, wow, like, you know, this, this writer I really admire is not, you know, has not only struggled with the same thing, they're struggling with it like this week. Mm -hmm. um, and there's just something really wonderful about that. So, you know, because, you know, we have this culture where we, where we celebrate, um, artists as these, as these special geniuses, you know, who are somehow alien and a little bit not like all of us. And there are certainly, you know, some people who are sort of uniquely creatively gifted, right? And also not, not everyone, you know, wants to be an artist. But, but I think everyone has this capacity, right? Everyone has this ability to, to solve their creative problems, um, resource resourcefully and to use their own ingenuity to find a way forward when the way is difficult. And that's what writing is, you know, really a lot of the time, like it, you know, whatever problem you have, it's about, um, success really is about creative problem solving, whether it's like, ah, I just don't have enough time to write. Well, okay. How can you, how can you use, you know, your creative resources to try to make time where, where there isn't any, mm -hmm. because there's gotta be a way. Or if it's just, you know, how do you, this character doesn't sound right. How do I get there? Um, there are going to be clues. If you're willing to keep your eyes open in other books, um, you know, that, that can show you a way forward. And I think that's another thing that I've loved about these conversations. And it kind of harkens back to what we were saying before about, you know, how certain writers take different lessons away from, from the same books, um, 
is that so much of it is about keeping your eyes open. Um, it's, it's, it's about, you know, knowing, knowing where to look and just, just, you know, being, being alert to the possibilities of things that you, that you see in, in other people's works and, and in life. And, and if you do that and remain open to finding solutions, then, you know, you'll figure out a way forward. And something that you again mentioned in your book, which is that books are giving you not so much the answers, but clearer questions mm. really stuck with us. Um, and that's kind of ties into what you were just saying, which is as you read, as you hear these stories from people, as these, these essays and everything, it's how to ask better questions, you know, not how do I get past writer's block? It's how yeah. do I find better inspiration? How do I yeah. make more time? It's asking better questions. Um, yeah, that was more a thought than a proper question. No, but, but I, I really, I really <laughs> agree with that, and I think it's a, it's a really important shift, right? It, being like, "Huh, I'm blocked. I can't write," mm -hmm. is very different from saying, "Like, well, what, what is it that that's stopping me from writing right now?" Um, and I think if you really ask yourself, you know, it usually has to. Do, I really think that writer's block. It's two things. It's either it's either fear, you know, it's mm -hmm. fear of what you might commit to the page. Or it's a, it's a reluctance to just admit that you're human and your first draft's probably going to suck. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, that, it's that you want it to be perfect the first time out. You want to hit a home run on your first at-bat in the major leagues. And, and that's just, you know, it's not how it's going to be. Um, so I think if you're willing to ask yourselves those tough questions about why your process isn't working, um, it's a much better approach than just you know, noticing that things aren't going well and, 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 and feeling block. I mean, even that term writer's block, it's like something else has happened. It's like, it's right. external. It's like something has come in and, and done it for you. It's so passive. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, it's you, <laughs> you know, it's, it, you are blocking yourself. Um, and so there are ways around that. Uh, Joe, another thing you mentioned in your book is getting out of your own way, letting go of some control, the idea of allowing your story and characters f to flow organically and become what they w want to become, not forcing them to do things just because you want them to. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And, you know, this is something I've struggled with in my own, in my own work um, is really imposing a design mm -hmm. upon it and having ideas ahead of time. Um, of where you want the story to go. I think a lot of it's specific to fiction, um, but it's, you know, there are probably uh, applications elsewhere. And, you know, my teacher, when I was at the Elway Writers Workshop, my teacher, Ethan Kanan, had sort of noticed this about me and would, would kind of warn me that I'm, that I'm getting too in the way. Hmm. Um, and in a, in a funny way, I, ha I, I think I had a little bit of disdain for uh, the way people talk about fiction sometimes, which is that, you know, it's this, it's this unconscious thing and your characters become people and they surprise you and, and they don't, you know, you never know what's going to happen until it, until it happens. Mm -hmm. um, but that's something that I have heard again and again and again through uh, these conversations. And it's something that I have come to appreciate actually as deeply true as, I, as I've matured as a writer. Um, especially when you're working on a novel. Mm. I mean, there's no way really to know where a novel is going to go in advance, I don't think, because it's all through the execution. And something that in advance might intellectually sound like a good idea or might seem like it would work, well, you might try to actually write it and discover all these reasons why it's not right. In fact, hopefully you will. Mm -hmm. You know, Hopefully as you write, you, you are discovering new things about the subject matter. Um, otherwise, you know, it's just like sawing wood or something. It's like, it's like you set out to do this task and then you accomplished it, um, which I don't think is why people turn to literature. I think people turn to literature to, to, to be surprised and feel mm -hmm. themselves challenged. And, and I think if you are, if you are writing truthfully, um, you're going to find that you're surprising yourself. You're going to find ways that you know, you are, you have, you are not the master of the material and, and things will come up and things should come up that you could never have just sort of, you know, sat there and named 
as something you wanted to say or something you wanted to do or something you were interested in. Um, and I found all of these writers, um, you know, in conversation will, will talk about their work actually using the language of dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, Andre Debus is one who does that beautifully in his piece in the book, but there are others where, where he says, um, actually the line he quotes is, is, is do not think dream, um, which is something that um, a writer he admires, Richard Bausch, had written. And he really says it's, it's about letting all of your um, preconceived notions go, everything you think about what, what, what's happening in the story, um, just, just let it fall by the wayside and try as much as you can to channel your energy into inhabiting that moment and being there with those people and just letting things play out the way that they will. Um, he describes it like just, you know, it's like you're in a car at night and you're just following the headlights and trying to see what comes up in front of the beam. Um, and I think that there's a lot of truth to that, especially in early drafts, especially, you know, like a NaNoWriMo type of um, setting is just follow the headlights. And there's going to come a time, right, where you're going to have to like impose that intellectual you know, inner critic side of things, not Mm -hmm. just to your own language, but to the events of the story and to the things that the characters do and say, and you're going to have to like, almost like fact check it and give things the sniff test and and try to figure it out. Um, Like, does this really work? But I think that initial, those initial sort of generative exploratory drafts, I think really are about like, making sure everything's on the table, making sure that everything's possible and being willing to, to follow where the story seems to be taking you, even if, even if it's not what you set out to do. And that can actually be really scary. I mean, it, it's really scary to, I mean, this is happening right in the novel that I'm, that I'm hopefully, you know, finishing before too much longer. I spent two years writing from the perspective of a certain narrator that I ultimately realized just didn't have the range I needed mm-hmm. and was too far from who I am as a person. And, and then I had to completely start again with a complete telling the, the same story through the eyes of a completely different character. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the kind of thing I think you have to be willing to do. And I, I came to that conclusion very organically, um, but it meant that I had, I had wasted, not wasted, <laughs> but, but, you know, I'd spent two years on, on work that would, that would really never see the light of day. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I think that's what the process requires. I've been having the exact same issue, especially with NaNoWriMo, with the project I've been working on. These are characters that have been living in my head for years, and all of a sudden they're doing, and I never thought it would happen for me. <laughs> it was that they'd started doing things that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, it does happen. Yeah, <laughs> Holy oh, that's cow. such a good sign. It's so exciting to hear. Is, I mean, isn't that thrilling? It is sort of it like is. that Frankenstein moment. It's also frustrating because I'm like, I don't know where you're going now. Like, what yeah. is this? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a good sign. <laughs> but it's scary. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's the moment when you realize that what you're doing is, is somehow larger than just your own conscious brain. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. it all is coming from you. Um, but it is this moment of recognition where, where you're like thinking daytime you know, fully conscious mind no longer has complete control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a little terrifying, but it's also thrilling and wonderful. I hope I hope you're finding it that way. Yeah. And a frustrating, thrilling, wonderful, and just kind of like, all right, now, and I don't know, it's really forcing me to think a lot more creatively than I had in the past, because I usually work on much smaller things, poems and stuff, which is yeah. more emotional. So it's easier for me to just sure. do that. And then this novel is just like, wow, there's all these characters I didn't know existed and you're doing yeah. bizarre things. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I, I should say too, like I love being surprised in short stories and that happens too, but I will say the short story is a form where I, I think, and, and it, I don't write so much poem, poetry. I don't know if it's true really so much for that, but um, the story to me seems to be a form where you can exert a little bit more control mm-hmm. um, just because it's shorter and you can have an idea you know, sometimes it's, sometimes what makes a short story is just one simple turn mm-hmm. of of event or or one simple, you know, turn of the screw, um, and you can you can almost kind of know what that's going to be when you start. Sometimes, even if you don't know all the specifics, but with a novel, man, you, like you just get <laughs> lost in it, and it's really hard to just 
yeah, it just like impose yourself on it to the same degree. Absolutely. <laughs> and speaking of um, dreams, uh, the mm -hmm. works of Neil Gaiman have been really inspirational for both of us. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. And personally, for me, when I first attempted to read The Sandman, I think I was like in a comic book shop and I was like 12 or something. Yeah. And it completely terrified me to the point where I put the book down and I didn't pick it up again until I was in my 20s. And um, when I decided to read it again, since I it, it had such a profound effect on me, I immediately fell in love with his work and his words. And it inspired me to use horror to reign in some level of control with the fears that I personally had. Yeah. Um, did you ever read something that you weren't ready for? Yeah, that happens to me all the time, actually. <laughs> um, really so often. And, and, you know, one way I've noticed it specifically is actually through music. Mm -hmm. um, there've been records that I remember putting on as like a high school student and just being like, I do not get this. Like, what? I don't understand. Um, I remember one of those was, um, now it's one of my favorite records, but Remain in Light by the Talking Heads. And I, I remember I was so excited to get it because so many, you know, musicians that, that I liked, was that was something that they had listened to and, and, and really gotten a lot out of. And I remember putting it on and just like, I just did not understand it. And just kind of being like, all right, like whatever, if that's what people are into. And I just wasn't, I just wasn't there yet, like in my own musical uh, path. And I think that happens so often, so often with books um, where, you know, you try and, and, and it just doesn't click for whatever reason, or maybe it's more like what you described, Alex, and mm -hmm. it's like something almost rings too true or is, is almost too affecting. And you have to kind of shy away from it in that way because in the because of the intensity of it and mm -hmm. and a lot of the writers i talk to have that experience all the time mm -hmm. it's really amazing that it, it it does seem to be it's not just like is this the right book or not but also is it the right time for this book um because i, I really believe that like certain lines and passages and certain complete works they their meaning to you or their appeal really shifts over time mm -hmm. um and that's that's part of what's fun of of of, of reading is, is, is watching the way your own interests shift and how dirt, you know, it's like books are, are kind of like kaleidoscopes, you know, they, they, they like, they, they refract differently as you, as you turn them and as time and as time goes by. And, and, um, I think that's, that's, uh, that's good. Cause it means there's always room for surprise and, and something we thought, you know, we were, we were done with, or that wasn't interesting, always, always has room to, to come back and, and impress us. Definitely does. And and for me, I think one of those books that really sticks out in my mind was Ender's Game. Mm -hmm. um, I tried, my dad loved that whole series. It was one of his yeah. favorite sci-fi series. And um, I I tried reading Ender's Game. I don't know what age. And I was just like, oh, this is boring. There's boys, just <laughs> whatever. And I put it away. And then two years later, I opened it back up in school and we're reading it. And then I just... I couldn't get enough of it. I read it so many times because something finally yeah. clicked about mm -hmm. what that dynamic was between the characters. And I didn't feel, I guess it was me trying to read it in middle school versus me reading it in high school was the difference. Yeah. And in high school, I understood that social dynamic that that book is all about. And that really fascinated me all of a sudden. Whereas before I was like, I don't know, there's no dragons. Boring. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it can happen in other ways too, you know, in the, in reverse. And sometimes this is sad, you know, when you return to a book and it, and it seems not to measure up or mm -hmm. something that you really loved. Um, you know, you can feel you've, you've outgrown it somehow. Um, but I think that's good. You know, it, it means that we're, it, that we're moving and we're changing and, and that's just going to continue to happen. Definitely. And then it, it is also really cool when you return to a book that really inspired you as a kid and then you realize oh my God, this is even better than I remembered because yeah. there's more that you get out of it. That's Absolutely. One, I, I think I, I return to books less often now than I used to because I'm afraid of that not impacting me the same way as the last time yeah. I read it. And then whenever I go back and then it's just as vibrant, if not more, I'm just like, yes, I need to reread everything I've ever read. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, that's absolutely, I think, you know, that's a big part of the reason that I read and that I write is I just want to, I want to like, it is kind of drug-like, you know, mm -hmm. how you're always chasing that first high. Like, I, I just want to 
experience that that kind of like you know full commitment to it to a story like that utter absorption that I remember first experiencing you know when I was young and especially with some of that you know some YA literature I mean mm-hmm. I remember I, I remember reading and this is something I could probably never go back and read like but like I don't know if you guys read the Redwall books oh yeah um, these epics you know all featuring like mice and and badgers and you know, weasels and all this stuff and like fighting over these funny medieval castles. And like, I loved those books. Like I lived in them. I just was so obsessed. Um, And I'm not sure if that's something I could like return to now, although there are cool things about them that I still remember, like this, such a celebration of food and the gustatory is such Mm -hmm. a big part of those books. Um, But like, you know, I, I, I still want that. Um, so yeah, it's 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 cool to like the way those early memories I think kind of kind of shape you to a degree as a as a as a writer and a reader and a thinker and and to a degree I think we're always going back to explore that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And in reading and in writing, I think both of these processes are about finding your inner joy and that's really what the ultimate journey seems to be. It's yeah. um so being able to create amazing things and being balanced enough, but confident enough to enjoy your success, be it big or small, whether you cut that one little section of the story right and you figured out what the character was doing or you finally published this thing. Um, how do you find the balance between those things, between pushing yourself forward and celebrating those little joys and those successes along the way? Yeah, it's, it's a really good point. I mean, it's a, it's a balance. Um, I definitely have days where I thought the work I was doing was great. Um, and I go back to it and, and feel sort of crushed, you know, and realizing that, that it's, you know, it either doesn't work or I need to take it in another direction, even if I like the way, you know, it, it reads. Um, and, you know, and then there are days that you, but I think those days sustain you, you know, regardless of whether or not they kind of um, make it into the book. And and I think that's a big thing that I've tried to embrace in my life and something I've learned a lot from these conversations is, is you have to write ultimately because you like writing. It can't be because of an outcome. I, I mean, yeah, obviously, you know, you, you, you want to like um, finish the work and hopefully make a, degree, a, a career out of it to the degree that you can. Um, but ultimately, that's not really the reason to do it. Like, ultimately, the reason to do it is because you are the kind of person who wants to spend two or three or four or five hours a day alone, playing with words, thinking about characters that don't exist. Um, and that should really be its own reward. Um, and if that is the reward for you, if you're happy with that, if, if you ultimately you're going to be happy spending your time that way, then, then it, then it doesn't actually matter um, if you, you know, had a great writing day that other that you then then realized took you in the wrong direction, or if you have to cut a scene that you love, um, because you you had that moment and that was a day uh, when you could feel good about the work you did and and you know you faced your day after your writing session um, as a happier and more fulfilled person um, and. And I really feel that, by the way, like when I have a good writing morning, it, it really just colors the rest of my day. And, 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 and when I have a frustrating one as well. Um, but ultimately, like the reward is the work itself. It's, it's about spending the time in, 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 in that way. And if, if, if that's what you're looking for, first and foremost, is that kind of engagement and the process itself, um, then I think, yeah, the rest of it almost doesn't matter. And I try to remind myself as much as, you know, that as much as possible. I'm happy. I'm happy when I'm writing. Um, and, you know, say I was to never finish this book. Well, in a way, you know, I could think, well, I just wasted the past five years. But another part of me could think, well, that was actually five years of, of time that you made and you, that you were really happy to have and really, really lucky to have. Um, so, you know, I think that's that's the better healthier and probably more productive perspective. Very much so. 
And that actually ties into a conversation that I've been having with um, some of the NaNoWriMo groups that I've been in is it feels so selfish sometimes to sit yeah. down and write. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you have jobs. Uh, for a lot of people, we there's kids. For us, we just have cats, so they don't require as much attention. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when you sit down and write, it can feel so selfish, especially yeah. if you don't actually plan on publishing it or, or sharing it beyond like immediate family. It's like, I do this for the joy of it. I shouldn't give myself this time. Why am I doing this? And, and a lot of, especially beginner writers feel very guilty about the time that they put into it. Um, yeah. But I think it's important whether, whether what you do to unwind is to write or read or go for a walk. All of that is valid. It's valid to, you as a human being and it's important yeah. to enjoy that journey you know right struggling to write that novel is just as important as finishing the novel so absolutely I, I think about this so often and 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 a lot of these conversations that's that's actually kind of what I really want to know a lot of the time uh, w- from the writers that I talk to is is like why do you do this and how do you and how do you justify it because it's not the obvious thing right like it, it is to wall yourself away from people um, and the world and, and spend time in a, in a small office alone playing with words. I mean, that, that is like kind of unusual and, and in a way, in a weird way, you can construe it as being like, you know, anti-life in a way, you know, like that you could be, I mean, I've turned down so many, um, party invitations and coffee dates and, you know, things with friends or events or protests or whatever as, as the result of my writing and it, and it can feel selfish and it, and it can feel weird, but one thing I hear again and again from writers is if I don't write, I'm not happy. If I'm not having this experience, I just, I can't be myself. I can't feel like myself. Um, and I think it's really important to, to own that and to, and to not run from that. Because if you're listening to that, um, you know, at, you'll be a better person. You'll be a better citizen. You'll be a better spouse. You'll be a better friend. Um, and I don't think that anyone can write for much more than two or three or four hours a day. So there, there, there's enough time to, to, to have it all, I think. And, and I think you'll be better elsewhere in life for it. I think the other thing that I've been thinking about a lot, because I'm writing about this right now in, in an essay for the Paris Review online, um, that I'm excited to, to wrap and get finished, um, is that the other reason not to feel guilty about it is that to me, like, yeah, writing is, um, is a retreat in a way from life and, and from like, you know, the, the world that needs us to engage, you know, directly in it. But, but it's sort of a radical retreat. I mean, like think about all the stuff you're not doing Mm -hmm. when you're, when you're writing, you know, you're not shopping. um, (laughs) You're not giving money to Facebook. You know, Mm -hmm. you're not, you're not consuming anything. If you're writing, I mean, how often is that true? Like if, 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 if you're writing in a notebook or, if your laptop's charged up, I mean, you're not consuming any fossil fuels. You're not bound up in any number of like problematic systems that, that we are all entangled with all the time. Um, there's something wonderful about that, you know, like, um, and, and I think it's actually really radical in a way. Um, so there's value in that too, you know, beyond just the, the value of the work itself and whatever you produce. I think the actual time spent writing, um, though it is sort of self-oriented, um, really does have value. That's wonderful. Um, it really yeah. is. <laughs> um, inspiring others and sharing positive energy with them can not only help that person, but help you understand that your existence has meaning. Um, one memory of, insp- of importance to us was when our friend Will came to our place on his birthday. And we were just thinking, oh, okay, well, we'd like to make him a cake. So we made him a cake and sang him happy birthday. But before he blew out the candles, he told us that this was the very first birthday cake he had ever had in his entire life. And he's, wow. in, he's in his 20s, in his mid-20s. Oh, my God. And knowing that our little act of kindness so impact was so impactful to him was very inspirational to us. Um, would you like to talk a little bit about a moment for you personally where you inspired someone else? Yeah, I mean, that's a really beautiful and touching story. Wow. And you guys, you guys sound like great friends. I'm glad I'm glad you were able to do that for him. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, 
a few things. Like one, um, you know, this is the first book I've I've ever um, edited and published, and um, it's just been really wonderful to just you know have the experience for the first time of going out to a few bookstores and and giving a talk about it and and just you know having the people come up to you at the end and and tell you um you know how how much it means and 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 just to see that you're you know in some small way you're giving them that experience that that you're always chasing too of 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 falling in love with a book um it's just a wonderful feeling and i and i can't uh say enough about you know in my own little way how how grateful i feel to be sort of other on, on the other end of the of the table um for that but it it happens all the time when when you write i mean probably the most powerful way i've experienced that so far in my life is um uh, a few years ago, my wife had this horrifying experience where, um, she was in the, she, um, had ovarian torsion, which is where, oh, um, the fallopian tube, um, twists and oh. starts cutting off blood to the ovary and it's excruciatingly painful. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had this horrible experience at the hospital where we went to the emergency room and they thought it was kidney stones and, and they misdiagnosed it and they basically ignored us and like would not take us seriously. Um, so it, and this was like a life threatening thing. It became really bad. Um, so everything's fine now and it, you know, it all, it's all okay. But, um, I wrote this essay for the Atlantic about the experience, um, and was stunned by, I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens, more than a hundred women, um, wrote to me and said, you know, I had the same thing, you know, there's no OBGYNs in emergency rooms for the most part. So people wow. just like, don't take this seriously. They think it's appendicitis or whatever, or like they just, you know, you have a stomach ache and, um, and I just could not believe how universal this thing I'd never even heard of before until mm-hmm. it happened actually turned out to be. And that's, what's so amazing about writing. Like it's, it's it really, I mean, your, your birthday cake is a great metaphor for that, right? Like, like it, it can almost seem like this every day, you know, quote, nice, but like quotidian gesture and little do you know, it has this profound significance to a person mm-hmm. and every sentence we write is full of that kind of potential, you know, like you never know what aspect of something that you put down in words is going to really chime with somebody else and, and, and actually like, make them feel less alone or, or make them feel like some aspect of their experience um, has been, you know, felt by somebody else. You really never know when that's going to happen. And, and writers tell me all the time how surprised they are that it was this thing that someone latched onto or some detail in the book that, um, that really just spoke to somebody else. And that, that's so wonderful. Like to a degree that, you know, when you put something out into the world, you lose control of it mm-hmm. because everyone is going to start, seeing their own thing in it you know you make them the cake but then the cake becomes you know no no longer just the gesture that you intended but another gesture entirely and that's exactly what writing is like and and it's part of the reasons i think why it's why it's such a valuable and rewarding and worthwhile pursuit and that's very uh, terrifying as far as hospitals but it's actually very common that uh, unless someone focuses on the female body as their study, mm-hmm. um, yeah. they're, they're very much, medicine is very generalized as far as yes. the human body and they don't really focus a lot on, on female physiology and, and how things operate and how things can go wrong. And it is very common where those type of things get overlooked because they're just not focusing on those things. Absolutely. And I'll just say this just because, you know, it's, it's so important. Um, but that's something I wrote about in the Atlantic piece, um, is that, uh, uh, there's a, there's a term for that they've called they call it uh, Yentl syndrome um, mm-hmm. and it, it 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 came out of the um, the the study of um, cardi of you know like cardiac um, cardiology mm-hmm. and basically men are studied for heart attacks like all of the the vast majority of medical research into heart health mm-hmm. is done on men and so the normative uh, symptoms of cardiac arrest are male. Mm. Well, women experience them completely differently. And so actually women can be experiencing symptoms of heart attacks and and they go undiagnosed or they're not understood because the quote unquote normal heart is male. Yeah. Um, so that's just a, you know, one really important example of exactly what you're talking about that I think has informed this sort of growing conversation around um, gender bias. Mm-hmm. 
in, in medical treatment. Um, but it's absolutely, you know, something that I think we need to continue to talk about. Um, I will ask for the link to that article when we're done with this so that if people are interested to go check out our show notes so they can read it, because I definitely want to read that also. Sure. Um, and I should just say really quickly, I, I said that it was an Atlantic piece and they, they actually did reprint um, a somewhat condensed version of it, but it, it initially uh, was published in longer and somewhat more exper experimental form in a magazine, a great magazine called Creative Nonfiction. Nice. So I should, I should mention them as well. Awesome. Um, so as we've kind of been talking about, inspiration really is everywhere. It's in our daily lives. It's in what we read. It's in the conversations we have. Um, but the key is you have to not be in a rush to see it sometimes. So mm -hmm. you have to allow yourself to take the time to absorb these things that can inspire you. Yeah. And uh, I personally am so obsessed with making things that I rarely take the time to just slow down and absorb the things that I love because they are very refreshing. Um, you know, it's a little reminder that life is not always a race, even if you are in NaNoWriMo and the goal is <laughs> swiftly approaching. <laughs> yeah. Um, what things Absolutely. do you do to slow down and, and kind of feed your soul? Yeah, I mean, I think that's why part of the reason um, why books are so important, mm -hmm. you know, is they, they just remind you uh, that your brain can move at a different pace. You know, you can't read, you can't really speed through like a great novel or a great, even a great poem. Like you've got to kind of take that more stop and smell the roses kind of kind of approach. And so I continually, um, Andre Debuse, you know, told me that he starts his writing morning every morning by just reading some poetry. Um, and that's kind of how he dips his feet into it and starts to like get going in that way. And I always, I often tell myself, you know, I got to do that. I got to do it. Debuse <laughs> does. Like that's, that sounds so perfect and great. And, and I just usually don't, um, for whatever reason, but, but I, I think there's something to that, right? Like we can use books almost as like, creative aphrodisiacs in a way or something like, you know, you read a line there, a passage there, and, and they start to kind of, you know, get you into that contemplative mood where, where, where creativity can happen. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's other art, you know, it whets your appetite. Um, books, you know, I can, there's certain books I can always turn to that I know are going to get me excited, no matter how uninspired I'm feeling or, or certain, you know, certain records, certain music, um, even some visual art, um, you know, where, where it really just starts to work. Um, I think there are two other things too. Uh, one is physical exercise mm -hmm. and I'm not as good as this as, as I should be, but if I go on a long run or even a walk, I mean, it's amazing, especially in journalism, I can toil and toil and toil over like a lead to a story and like not know, um, how I'm going to do it. And then I, I like stand up and walk down the hall to get some coffee. And that's the moment when I realize how to do it. Um, and I think there's something to that is like, is just getting up and moving and letting your mind like wander a little bit. Um, and then, um, and the other is just taking a shower, you know, sometimes if yeah. you need to like hit the hard reset button for whatever reason, like just, just go take a shower and let your mind wander and, and, you know, you never know. But, but to me that often helps me, uh, just reset. That's wonderful. I, I mean, yeah. the shower thoughts yeah. is totally something that helps me yeah. reset when I'm just so frustrated and I can't focus. I'm like, ah, screw everything. I'm going to go take a shower. And yeah. I always feel like a new human being afterwards. <laughs> oh, I don't know why that works so well, but it, <laughs> I don't question it too much because it just kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> Accept it. <laughs> yeah. You never question magic. <laughs> right. Right. Those are words to live by. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Um, music and theater have always been inspirational to us. And Jeanette's, Jeanette once worked on a production of Icarus. And there was one sequence in particular where um, it still stays with me today. Uh, the moment where Icarus falls to earth and is carried by the ocean uh, to a rendition of Metallica's Nothing Else Matters. And it was a very powerful moment that reminded me that even in our darkest days, we are not alone um, do you have anything that affected you in that way? Interesting. And uh, in, in, sorry, in which way do you mean? When that, that, you know, when things get dark, like, you know, when you were dealing with the issue with your wife or anything like yeah. that, that when people do come to the rescue and do help and do get it, 
and and they're and they're there for you even when you you know when you think there's no one there um you know do you have anything like that that affect you in a way that that kind of reinvigorated your belief in humanity or your respect or your your the fact that there is a level of humanity out there yeah i mean i i really do think that it's for me it, you know it just really is literature is the is the thing that i go to um and music you know i mean it which is wonderful and it's in its sort of wordless um evocative way but you know i i'm not a i'm not um i'm not a person that's very given to depression or or um you know or or sadness in a sort of chemical way um mm -hmm. you know like bad things happen and i feel bad about them but my my disposition tends to be pretty bright um but you know in those in those moments, it's, I think it really is, um, it really is, you know, well-made words that, that, that helped me because they just, they remind you of, of how rich life is. Um, they remind you of how valuable life is, how much we can feel. Um, they remind you of, of what a strange miracle our, our very brain is, how much we just really don't understand about it and how we're capable of so much expression and so much feeling um, that is really unlike anything else. And to me, that always gets me excited. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a cliche, but, but so much, so much great art does come from a place of pain. Mm -hmm. um, and when you see the ways that other people have worked through their pain um, by trying to create beauty, um, beauty that doesn't negate the pain, but beauty that that explores even even deepens um, the pain, uh, counteracting it maybe by deepening it. Um, that that is just endlessly inspired to me, and that and that's the artistic project, um, and it's one of the reasons I feel I feel so grateful to, um, you know, to have just gotten the bug, you know, to, to care, to care about, you know, these things. Um, because I think there's such a, um, that art, art is such, um, you know, such a source of, 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 of support, um, during times of trouble. Definitely. There's definitely been times in many people's lives, myself, and I'm thinking specifically of my sister at the moment where even, and this goes back to exactly that one line thing. Like there's this piece of text that makes you just changes everything for you. And I know recently my sister was reading a book of poetry and it just turned something on in her brain about her past and made it so that she could get past this, like this trauma that happened to her. Um, yeah. And it's just, that's, that's what art can do. It brings you into this other world where that book lights up brings everything out of you and you go, wow, I can deal with this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's um, beautiful, you know, and yeah. I think that's why we're all, those of you who are listening and the three of us just talking right now, it's why we're here. Yeah. We, we, it's what we thirst for. It's what inspires us and it's what uh, makes life important. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's, that's, what's cool too about, about writing as solitary as it is, is, um, is it, it is such a community. You know, and you guys know that, like, it, it, I find such kinship mm -hmm. in the other people who have sort of lived, lived their lives through books and lived their lives from song to song. And, and, um, and even though so much of the work happens in isolation, um, it really is ultimately something that convenes people and brings people together. And, and, um, you know, that's always, you know, especially genre folks, I feel like are especially, um, you know, tight knit mm -hmm. uh, clan. Um, which is wonderful. And, and so that's um, always something to take comfort in. Most definitely. And uh, Joe Fassler's book, Light the Dark, it is an amazing collection of essays uh, that was collected with interviews of some very amazingly talented authors, including Stephen King and Neil Gaiman, among many other extraordinarily talented human beings that um, whose stories have been very, very touching and inspiration for us. So we hope our audience checks that out because it's it's not just good if you're a writer. It's good if you're a person that just wants to uh, see 
experience other human experiences, other people's experience and seeing how those things can affect you and, and, and connecting with other folks from around the world that are extraordinarily amazing in their creative process. So thank you so much, Joe Fassler, for coming on our show. Guys, this has been such a pleasure. Thanks so much. Definitely. And Joe, if people wanted to reach out and chat with you online, where's a good place for them to reach you? Uh, probably the best is Twitter. It's just at Joe Fassler. And I'm always happy to hear from folks. So um, go ahead. Perfect. And where can they find out more about you and your works? Um, sure. I have a very modest website, joefassler.net, where that has some links to things I've written um, including, you know, the pieces that we've, we've discussed today. Um, but you know, you can find my bio, um, at the Atlantic, um, or if you just even search by heart, um, with the Atlantic, you can find, uh, some of the stories we've, we've been, we've been talking about. Um, so everyone who's listening, we will have all those links in the show notes for you. And Joe, thank you again for sharing your love of story with us and, and some of your thoughts on inspiration. Yeah, you too, guys. It's been a really fun conversation. <laughs> Thank you once again, Joe Fassler, for coming on our show. It was wonderful speaking with you about the topic of inspiration. You can find links to everything mentioned in this episode at podcast.ninthstory.com forward slash S6E12. That's the number nine, thstory.com forward slash S6E12. This episode was recorded on November 15th, which was smack dab in the middle of NaNoWriMo. So we want to talk a little bit about where we are. Um, I am struggling, <laughs> but I'm getting my word count up. At this point, I have 7,000 words to catch up on to actually be at 25,000, which is where you should be today, technically, um, to be on track. I have really great days where I do 2,000 words, 3,000 words, and days where I get nothing done. So I have been definitely, the things that I was worried about, um, struggling with. So finding the time to do it, finding the perseverance is, is more surprising than I thought because I definitely hit at 10,000 words exactly the same spot in every story where I normally stop because... The beginning is now a mess. It doesn't make any sense. The characters are starting to do weird things, and I don't think they should be doing that. And I feel like I need to start over, but because I'm not allowing myself to start over or delete anything, I had to keep barreling onwards. And there are new th there's new things in my story I did not ever expect to be in there. And as of this morning, by going off on a huge tangent that I don't think actually has anything to do with the story, I feel like I may have found my footing again. So I'm excited to catch up as much as I can over the next couple days and to just keep tearing away at it. I am determined to at least hit 30,000 words. If I hit 25,000, though, you know, I'm halfway there. <laughs> so I just have to uh, keep trucking. That's my goal. How are you doing, Alex? I'm also hitting the normal wall that I usually hit, which is that I'd become fearful of failing. So I definitely uh, uh, have dropped off my word counts very low, uh, you know, down to maybe a couple hundred words a day, 500, 600 words a day. And just because I just get nervous about failing. And that's something that I've always had a problem with is getting nervous about failing. And now we're attempting today and going forward to try to both kick ourselves into gear and try to just trek through it and push through it and, you know, be damned what actually happens, how it goes, where the story goes, if it fails, it falters, whatever, at least we put the effort in and we got some good habits going. So that's the main thing we're trying to push through in this month is to get some really great writing habits and to simply not be so critical of what could be or fearful of what could be. And um, so that's something that I've always struggled with in general because of the things that I've gone through in my life and those things that kind of hold me down and anchor me in place. And NaNoWriMo is this completely terrifying thing to me that I am now trying to push through. So if you're out there and you're listening to this show and you like this show and you want to send me some good positive something on Twitter, that's great. I'm at HTV Immortal. You can find me on Twitter there and maybe 
help me get past this hump? I will say that a couple days ago, I went hunting for different Facebook groups for NaNoWriMo's. And because the ones that I had joined at the beginning of the month weren't active enough, I really wanted, I wanted friends, guys, to play NaNoWriMo games with and be like, guys, I'm doing a sprint. Who wants to join me? Crickets is what I was getting in the other groups. So I found a new group that's very active and they do word sprints a couple hours every night and they just like are really supportive. I think I found one that was, if not entirely women, mostly women. So that was actually kind of cool. I kind of stumbled upon it. Um, so it really does help to have someone to say, hey, I'm doing this thing. Let's do that tonight. Um, so Alex and I, we really need to help each other be our own write-ins. And we're mm -hmm. starting that tonight at least. Yep. So word sprints tonight. That's what we're doing. If you haven't already done so, please leave us a rating slash review on iTunes. It doesn't cost you anything, but it does help more people find our little show. And as Victoria always says, well, she always says I broke it, actually. So <laughs> I am Immortal Alexander. I'm Jeanette Andromeda. And this has been the ninth story podcast. Stay creative, my friends. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Okay, bye. <laughs> Thank you. Stay creative, my friends. And hopefully we'll make it to the end of NaNoWriMo in one piece. Oh, good Lord willing. <laughs>